Hello, everyone, and welcome to Identity Insights by Indicio. Uh, this is a show dedicated to bring you the news and unpacking new developments in the digital identity community. Today, I'm joined by Lynn Bendexson uh, to discuss Hyperledger Indie Networks and the Indicio Network. Uh, thanks for making time for me today, Lynn. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey, thanks, Tim. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here today to help everyone learn a bit, a little bit more about Indie Networks. I've been working with Hyperledger Indie for about four years now, and I'm, I'm just super excited to be here today and um, talk a little bit more about them. Um, my primary task at Indicio right now is to grow our networks and to keep them running smoothly. And, uh, and so, so I'm here. <laughs> awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, would you mind telling us in you know, your own words, what is a Hyperledger Indie Network? Well, a, a public Hyperledger Indie Network, like our Indicio mainnet, is really just a collection of donated nodes that are run by node operators from around the world. Uh, this blockchain style network that we have uh, stores and manages uh, cryptographic keys that are needed to manage a Hyperledger Indie identity system. So trusted digital ecosystems like Indie, um, only retain the keys that are needed to show that the credentials that are held by people are valid. And that's what's stored on the network, these, these keys. And neither the credentials themselves nor any of the data that goes along with them are stored on the ledger itself. So the network doesn't have any private data at all. The user has all their own information on their own device. So that's what a Hyperledger network helps to, to take care of. It helps to manage identity so that people can have their own identity on their own device. And the network just manages uh, helping to verify that you got it from a trusted place. All right, that seems super cool and useful. Um, what kind of setup and maintenance kind of goes into making a decentralized network like that? For the setup part is we start by uh, needing to recruit some node operators, right? If you want a public network and you want to run uh, uh, something decentralized, uh, you can't do it on your own. People will uh, not see that as being uh, self-sovereign is one, another word for it. They'll see that as being a, uh, you know, centralized. You, know, you run it, you run all the nodes. And so we have to recruit node operators. And these node operators are responsible for installing and, and starting up their own nodes. And I made a whole bunch of documents to help them to get this going. And so they follow those documents, install you know, virtual machines in the cloud, most of them, or install in their data centers a node. And then I help them to join that node to the network. And once they're on the network, you know, the, you know setting it up initially, um is a uh, is just a few nodes and then we start adding more nodes to it and then we need to do some monitoring of that network to make sure it stays up and running and there are other tools so some developer type tools to help people to use the networks and get on to our we have a couple of free networks and so people getting on to those networks with these tools and maintaining them um is a is a is something we do regularly, right? We have automated tools that uh, 
tell us when things are going badly and we uh, take special note, keep track of what's going on, watch it carefully. So it's just, you know, at the very beginning stages of something starting to happen on it, we nip that in the bud and the network stay up and they run and they keep running well. So it's very good. All right. Very cool. Um, so yeah, would, uh, would a node operator be able to see anything different than the average user of a network, right? So if they right control the node, is there admin privileges they get at all? Or is it just kind of, it's a public decentralized network, everyone can kind of see everything going across it? The node operator special privileges are just to operate the node and to see the status of the whether their node is up and running or not and other nodes on the network and so they're they're the only special privileges they have is, is that the data that's on the network everyone can see it's a public network everyone can see it the node operator can't go and change any of the data the other nodes will immediately notice that they've done something and tell them nope you can't do that as it's, they go what's called out of consensus they're no longer uh, going to be part of the network if they try and change anything. So, the yeah, the node operators say it's very helpful to have node operators, but they don't get uh, the, any special privileges um, as far as getting access to data. All right, very interesting. Um, so I know Indicio's network is built on Hyperledger Indy, and uh, we have quite a few node operators ourselves. Um, do you know why the choice to use Indy was made? And uh, yeah, if you could touch on, you know, how many op node offers we have and how that might affect the network. Does that help with the decentralization? Does it help to have more ledgers? Like, why would that be important to have a variety of node operators? Yeah, I, I see where you're going, Tim. You're talking about uh, a stability of the network and, and the more nodes you have, the more stable it is, that kind of thing. So um the, the upkeep that we do i, I kind of mentioned it a little bit um earlier but the um the monitoring is a big deal so we keep um we to, to upkeep it we have to monitor and make sure everything stays up and running but the uh, you know, other things we do is we add more node operators uh like you hinted at that the adding a node operator is pretty simple it's not uh it's not out of the ordinary to have a new one come by every once in a while and, and increase our thing our stability by adding more the um, um we have the mainnet itself is very stable it is our indicio mainnet has never gone down it, amazingly 18 months of running and nearly and it um it's just been a hundred percent ability to read from it a hundred percent ability to write from it the whole time and that's because there's a natural redundancy built in to a hyperledger in the network um, if one node goes down the whole network doesn't go down the more nodes you have the more nodes can go down before you have a, a loss of write privileges to it and then all of the nodes have to go down before you lose the ability to read from it and as it just doesn't happen right so um and as soon as we start to have a problem like i said before we jump on it and we make sure that it stays up and running so um the uh the currently we have 
10 nodes on our test net. Uh, we're in the process of adding the 10th node on our demo net and on our main net, decided we wanted that more stable. So we you know, boosted that one up a little bit more. We have 13 nodes currently on our main net. And what that means is that um, there has to be four nodes that go completely offline uh, before we lose the ability to write to the network. So it's a, you know, there's an algorithm underneath that keeps things uh, up and running. And that algorithm requires there to be a certain number of nodes operational for it to maintain what's called consensus. So that's the ability to write to the network is dependent on the, there being a certain number of nodes and them all agreeing that you can write to the network. All right, that sounds incredibly resilient at 13 for the main net and then 10 for the other networks. Um, so if you want to do maintenance, do you, how does that work, right? Are you taking down just one node at a time, updating something and then moving on to the next and kind of you know going in a circle to update everything? Or can you take down a handful and then they'll tell the others the update and it kind of gets shared that way? How does, how does uh, you know, updating and upgrading work? That's a great question. The, the upgrade process for a Hyperledger Indie network is automated in such a way that um, once the trustees have agreed to an upgrade and have uh, signed the transaction that occurs, a transaction goes out that says uh, update yourself or upgrade, I guess is the right word, sorry, upgrade yourselves to the next version of the network. So that command goes out and Usually I set it to be every five minutes, another node will upgrade itself and then come back online. So at any one time, there's only one node that's down and it's all automated. So the, no the node goes down, upgrades itself, comes back up and uh, every five minutes. And so over the course of you know about an hour, uh, the whole network is upgraded. And then watch it very carefully to, to make sure because during an upgrade process, that's one of the most volatile times because you you know intentionally bringing down all the nodes right in order <laughs> but the um so watch it carefully make sure everything's going smoothly and um in an hour everything's upgraded and you never lost any of the um, any time uh, and there's no real downtime because the, there's only one node at a time going down so network as a whole stays up and runs throughout the upgrade process. All right, very cool. Um, so you mentioned, right, the test net, the demo net, and the main net. Um, could you go into, you know, basically what the differences between those are for Indicio, um, as far as, you know, why you would want to use a different kind of network? Yeah, so they're all the same kind of network, to, to be specific about the, you know, what they are. They're all Hyperledger Indie networks. They all run on exactly the same technology right now. and. As you mentioned a second ago, so we're doing we're doing an upgrade. We'll upgrade the test net and the demo nets first to make sure the upgrades are good, and then we'll move to our main net. So the main net is more stable. It's uh, the most stable one as far as maintenance and everything goes. the The test net would be the least stable because that's the first one that we try and upgrade or do any you know checking new uh features on or anything like that we'll we'll use that for for that method and 
just it is kind of for developers to develop on as well. So developers can go and try out their new solutions on a demo on the test net. Then when they have a solution they think is ready to go to show to their management or show to uh, end users and uh, they put the you know, move to the demo net if you want to and uh, use that for demoing and uh, showing your customers or clients uh, what the what your stuff looks like and try it out even and then uh, and the testnet and demo net are both free to use you have tools that can that can help get set up and and use those um, without any fees and then when you're ready when you're ready to go uh, public with your solutions and everything we offer a mainnet and the mainnet costs a little bit we have a yearly fee to, to be able to use it and um, put your production level solutions um, out there on the, the production level network all right very cool so if i were to build something on the test center demo net would i be able to just port it over to the mainnet? Like, how does that process work? Do you have to rebuild anything or there's copies and you can just easily move it around? Well, it's not as easy as uh, people would like it to be. Um, uh, each network is, is a separate network with its own uh, identifiers and uh, they're called DIDs. So it has its own DIDs on it and they have their own uh, schemas and credential definitions these are the building blocks uh, for building an identity solution so since each one has their own separate um, items of these types uh, you have to start over by building rebuilding those uh, when you move to the other networks and so when you're done trying things out on one of the other networks then you've got to write a few things to the network that you'd like to move to and and you know build your a solution on that new network. Now, I say you have to write new things, but there's not a whole lot that needs to be written uh, to get started and moving on these things. The, the credentials themselves, as mentioned earlier, are in the user's own possession. They have their own data, their own credentials, their own everything in their wallet. It's just a couple of the keys and things that need to be written to the ledger um, to get set up so you're ready to issue credentials. So an issuer writes a few things to the new network, and then they're set up and ready to go with their solution. All right, awesome. Um, well, it looks like we are about out of time. So thank you again for joining me, Lynn, and providing all this awesome uh, information about Hyperledger Indie Networks. Um, so if you want to learn a little bit more about Hyperledger Indie, we'll have a link to their page in the description. Uh, to learn more about the Indicio Networks and uh, how you can get started using those. You can find a link to our networks page in the description as well. And if you have any questions or topics you'd like to learn a little bit more about, please leave a comment below and uh, we'll be sure to get to them. Thanks again, Lynn. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to plug before we go? Oh yeah, I'll plug one one more time. The Indicio networks, they're um, managed by uh, professionals who have been in the industry for a while, including me and or a few others. And the um, our maintenance tools and everything just keeps them up and running and everything's great. So if you're going to use uh, Hyperledger Indie Network, uh, come on over and we'll help you out. Thanks.